0: Welcome to another edition of Unplugged. Coming up another victory on Monday night against the Crows. A timely one brought to you by original Australian owned, Australian made quality sheepskin Ug Boots. Great to have them on board and watch this space for our partnership with them. Twelve six seventy-eight to eight seven fifty-five. So it's a four goal win over the bottom side in the competition. That was winless, but as I introduce both of you, Aaron and Nick, it was one that, that meant a little bit. We spoke last week. Last week's loss was, I guess, so frustrating and, and so painful. And it's hard to know what hub life is going to look like in, for, for players over a long period of time. And, and I had, the like a lot of people, probably that feeling of dread that if you have a loss like that first up and then you get beaten by the, the, the bottom side in the comp, uh, just how bad could things spiral out of that? And you can sort of tell in the group, Brett Ratton coaching from the bench, he was fist pumping every time they kicked a the goal. Tim Membry's reaction on the siren. We'd never won at the Adelaide Oval before. We'd only won one quarter at the venue against the Crows in history. We hadn't beaten them in nearly 10 years. It had a lot riding on it. And I must admit, for for a four-goal win over the bottom side, it, it meant a bit more to me than others probably would, Nick. But um, yeah, it was a badly needed victory.
1: Yeah, it certainly meant something. And, and like you said, you could tell from the reaction of, of the boys at, at the Sire and how much it meant. It was one of those ones that, regardless of how the game played out, they just had to win. It didn't matter if it was by a point or 100 points. They just had to win. And there were times where, yes, especially in that second half, because we, we got off to a reasonably good start again. The first half was was pretty decent. It was a bit scrappy, but um, you know we were playing okay. And then that third quarter, again, there were a few, a few shaky moments where the crows started to get their hands on the ball a bit more and, and drive it forward, and we were able to keep them off the scoreboard, which was which was nice, but there were a few moments I thought geez they 're going to run over the top of us like like the dockers did the week before and uh, was was a little concerned and, and one of the best things I think was just to see that fight in the, the latter part of the third quarter and, and then to kick the first couple of goals of the last quarter was was uh, very pleasing. Uh, to see that fight that we hadn't seen the week before and and to see them stand up and and really be counted. It wasn't pretty footy by any means, but uh, like I said, we we just had to win it by any means possible. And, and they did that and and really stood up and showed that they've got a bit of, a bit of grit in them, um, which I think we'd all been a bit concerned about H.
2: Yeah. um, Basically it's just getting the monkey off the back of the Adelaide Oval considering the fact we've got to go back again this week. Um, we do know that it's not impossible to win there now. We do know that, okay, now we can can beat Adelaide. We haven't beaten Adelaide for a long time either, um, and just a flight back after a win is going to be a lot more of a happier group. I mean, flying from Adelaide to the Gold Coast after a loss, yeah, oh, I couldn't imagine to be much of a much of a fun fun flight to go back there, um, and then a two and a half hour bus ride as well, or whatever it is, back to the back to the um, Noosa. So just, just to keep the ticking those wins over, keep the group happy, keep them, yeah, ticking over, and we go to Adelaide one more time. Then we're in Brit- in Queensland for four weeks straight.
0: So yeah, we, played, we, we got three in a row at the Gabba, which obviously becomes something of a home ground for us. Uh, and four out of five, I thought three and three in a row at the Gabba, or it goes Gabba, Sydney, Gabba, Gabba, or something. So Gabba, Gold Coast, Gabba, Gold Gabba, something yeah. like that. But um, yeah, four in a row in in Queensland and. I think the timely thing too when they got back to Noosa was their quarantine period finished, which meant they had a little bit more freedom. I think they hit Hastings Street and um, went to the, had a few more trips to the beach. And we're just able to relax a little bit. And obviously this week's going to be largely about recovery. But yeah, I agree with that sentiment. In a game like that where you just have to win, it's unlikely to be pretty. You're not just going to go out there and blow them away. Um, it's probably going to be a little bit scrappy. We'd have to play a lot better than that to beat Port. But that's okay. It was just just a case of ticking that box and and when Adelaide got within nine points in the last quarter I mean I always felt through the game that it looked like we were probably going to win but it was just only when Adelaide got within nine points in the middle of the last quarter that it got a little bit tense but it was good we dominated the next seven or eight minutes and kicked three goals two to nothing and and put it to bed. Uh, the umpiring, probably on both sides of the coin, but probably especially ours, was horrendous. Um, yeah, we're not uh, going to mention uh, with
2: affirmation or, uh, uh, or... no, but <laughs> it's, some,
0: just it's... Some, but, I mean, the the crows. I mean, it was it was poorly umpired in general. The crows copped mm. a few ordinary ones as well, but uh, we certainly caught more. I mean. Mm. He would rattle them off, Dan Butler getting pinged deliberate for tripping over the ball, uh, various other things. But anyway, um, that was just one of those things that added to the, the frustration of the night. But yeah, good win and, and good that they now know they'll go back and, and be in the same rooms next week and go oh, this week and go through the same preparation and we'll feel better about it. It's clearly been a hoodoo ground. We've had some shocking losses to Port Adelaide there in particular. Um, so hopefully we can we can sort of rectify that reasonably quickly. Uh, got a few injuries out of it, which we'll talk about selection-wise later, or one in particular. But the ruck situation, I know it's been a heavily asked about question by a number of people, but we, we chose Ryder and Marshall to double-team O'Brien, and it worked effectively for us. But uh, as we've discussed a little bit off-air with the podcast, when Ryder and Marshall have rucked together, Ryder has been the most influential ruckman probably in the game across both sides. Marshall's done his job, but Wright has been more influential. However, when Marshall has played on his own, he's generally dominated except the Fremantle game. So it is fascinating to know what we do. Port Adelaide have got Laddams uh, with set out of the side injured. Laddams was good last week for Port, but uh, I don't mind the idea of us persisting with that type of setup. but it is a, an interesting debate.
2: Well, we basically have a player who probably would have played from this week have had he not come to us. So it's, yeah, we sort of taken a little bit away from them already before the game even starts looking at it that way. Um, He knows the ground, he knows, knows the spaces. He knows he he can sort of direct players and say, look, this is, this is how this game might flow. This is where he knows how Port Adelaide kind of play as well. So he'd be, okay, well, this player will be looking for this. Make sure you cover that. This player will be looking for this. Cover that. It, it, he's got some good insight that will really be able to help us in the middle. That's there. what
0: Robbie Gray does at stoppages, that's for sure.
2: Well, as long as, it, as, long as he doesn't tap to him this week, it'll be fine.
1: Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, I think that both those guys have shown. What we were concerned about when that trade was made, we we know that Ryder is a better tap ruckman. We've always known that. And and we've known that Marshall is more influential around the ground and up forward. We this is nothing new to us. It's it's just kind of happening, it's playing out like we thought it might. Uh and, and is one of the things that they kind of have to get right and, and kind of work out how to how to play together. Because you imagine, you know, if it comes to finals time and we're there, then the ability the ability to play two ruckman at once uh could be really important depending on matchup. So to, to get them some game time playing together is, is going to be important. But I think also important for, for Marshall as a young guy over this next kind of four or five weeks where there really is a, a, you know, a blockage of fixtures. You, you can't expect him to ruck one out for four games straight or five games straight in the space of 20, 20 odd days. Um, and, and so the ability for Ryder to really be able to give him a, a chop out in the ruck is going to be important for for Marshall and and to give him a bit of a a rest, but also to to physically to be able to take some of the pressure off him during those games when he's potentially coming up against bigger, stronger guys in contests. And and Ryder really can, you know, give him a bit of a buffer in those situations. I think the important thing is that we've got to utilize Marshall's strength around the ground. Um, Ryder is clearly, as we've spoken about, clearly the better tap ruckman. And we saw on the weekend how influential he can be in those moments um, and, and we've seen it a number of times through through this season already. You, you look at our, our midfield group, and sometimes the ball lands in their lap, and they kind of look around, going, "Shit, I have got the ball. I'm not I'm not used to that at a, at a ruck contest." Um, and, and it's kind of a surprise. And I think we kind of have to have to utilize that. It's it's a strength that we have. Not a lot of teams have a dominant Dap Ruckman, um, and, and he can be influential around the ground at times as well. He can he can snag a goal here and there. He can float back and, and take. Contested grabs and be a third man in defence. Um, so, you know, he, he's a, a really good player in his own right. We just have to work out the best way to utilise them both at the same time uh, because both of them can be match winners. So it's going to be important to see how they go this week against a you know, pretty decent uh, a pretty decent unit. I yeah, guess I've that's where it. it's
2: also been handy yeah. bringing in the likes of Jones, Butler, and Hill, who have had decent Ruckman to run under the feet of over the years as well. So, um, yeah, they, they've basically they sort of know what's happening and yeah that's the sort of players we've seen who have basically taken our team the way we wanted to go and it, it it's starting to really click now
0: yeah our centre bounce work has been pretty strong over the course of the the season um i guess in in rubber stamping the adelaide game uh with our votes which again were were tricky um some of them were in any case. Uh, I'll start off with a three, like most people probably will, to Jack Steele, who'd be leading our best in Paris by the length of the Flemington Strait, I'd say, at the moment. Um, got difficult after there. I gave two votes to Dougal Howard. Um, obviously knows the ground very well. Played his best game, I thought. It was nice and fired up. So sort of reminded me a bit of Goddard when he used to play behind the footy, directing traffic and uh, sometimes admonishing teammates for their errors and things like that. Kick a sensational goal in the second quarter. That was terrific. And the one vote could have gone any number of ways. I could have given it to Butler, could have given it to Jones, could have given it to Gresham, could have given it to Ryder, but I went with a young player that's been really improving over the course of the year, and I gave it to Nick Coffield, who's been tracking nicely. So three steel, two Howards, one Coffield. Hey?
3: Uh,
2: still, clear, clear three votes. I
0: mean, it's...
2: As you're saying, we should be able to give him five and then the next one will be two. So <laughs> that's that's sort of how far ahead he is at the minute. go um, to Gresham, just getting the ball out of the middle, winning the first usage of it. I mean, not every ball is hitting a target, but our players will get better. They'll know this is where the ball lands when he kicks it out of the centre clearance quickly. We'll start getting to those positions. We'll start winning more out of the centre and get that clean first use. It, it, it's just going to keep going and going and going. And he's doing the basically the job he's out there to do at the moment. Um, and one vote to Angry Dukes. That was I love the Angry Google. That was the bit of passion he showed was fantastic. Um, it, it, that game, if he can bring us that most weeks, we've got a nice pick up there.
1: Yeah, again, I've, I've gone Steele three. I think it's pretty obvious that he, he was our best player and he probably is our best player. Um, it, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with him in a, in a leadership capacity. Uh, you can't imagine that Geary has too many years left in the role. And I think a lot of us would have thought that, that Steele was kind of a natural successor in, in, in a, a leadership role, but he was overlooked for the leadership group this season, which was a surprise. Uh, so that's, that's an interesting one to, to keep an eye on because he, he, he plays like a captain. You look at, at other clubs that have uh, gun midfield captains and, and you look at Selwood and you know, Hodge and Mitchell at, at Hawthorne over the years and, and those type of guys, Travis spoke, And, and Steele is Steel is up there in terms of the way that he carries our midfield group at the moment. Uh, kicked, kicked a great goal of his own um, as well. And he, he kind of does everything uh, and, and really leads from the front. So clear clear three votes for me. Two, I gave to Jade Gresham. H Like you said, he, he's not going to hit a target all the time and you know at at the moment he's probably missing more targets than he's hitting but the way that he attacks the ball and attacks the contest in the middle uh what do you have i think he had seven clearances um and 18 disposals 16 of them were were kicks and you'd imagine a lot of them were, were contested uh just keeps banging the ball forward keeps hitting the contest and extracts the ball when the heat is on and has played a really important role. And, and he'll get better, H. Like you said, he'll get better. His disposal will get better as he gets more used to playing that role. This is still a new role to him, as we said last week. And, and I've been really impressed with his composure and his ability to keep getting to the ball in those in those moments. Uh, and the other one was, was Zach Jones. I thought he, uh, again, attacked the ball really well. He, he keeps pumping the ball forward. Uh, probably goes against the grain. I think a lot of people had Howard and Caulfield specifically in their votes. But I thought he was really important when when the heat was on that he kept a cool head, uh, kept bringing the ball forward, kept extracting. Uh, I think he also had um, six clearances, 20 20 touches. He was really important for us. And and just the ability for him to keep cool and calm and collected is something that we didn't really see from him at Sydney in in previous years. And it was one of the things, you know, we we spoke about pre-season and and around the, the trade period that, he was kind of known for, for his ability to get the ball and, and to be tough and, and bring some pace and speed to the group. But his disposal was, was a question uh, a question mark on his career to date. But he's been really good in that regard for us so far. And, and like I said, the ability for him to keep calm and, and cool and collected when he has the ball has been really important in, in our ability to, to you know, move the ball forward. Um, and get it to guys like Max King, who was also impressive. And you know, on another day, could have been in the in the votes with his ability to keep presenting, uh, and, and keep hitting the contest. He marked the ball really strongly, kicked a beauty from from fifty yard, uh, and just his development is going to be crucial.
0: Certainly is. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about a bit later on in regards to what the fixture looks like for the next four weeks, as we said, Queensland bound. Uh, Queensland home after the Port Adelaide game. Uh, obviously, the AFL heating some warning signs and moving most games out of New South Wales, so sort of impending what might happen there going forward. Uh, Sydney and GWS playing in Perth, for example, is a reasonable pointer for that uh, going forward. Uh, we'll also have a chat about or have uh, feedback from some of, your, some of our listeners and get some of those questions for you as well. But just before we're joined by our next uh, special guest, a message... Uh, from one of our new partners, good to have them on board. Now, some UGG companies import their products. Some even have Australia in their name and are made offshore. And some aren't even sheepskin. Original UGG boots is different. Original UGG boots have over thirty years' experience manufacturing sheepskin UGG boots in Australia. Always with a focus on quality first, and we all know you can't beat Australian-made quality. So support Aussie at originalugboots.com.au for all your UGG Boots needs, from slipper to moccasins, lopers to lace-ups. Original UGG Boots have you covered. Customised or monogrammed boots also available at their website. Again, originalugboots.com.au. Original ug Boots, Aussie-owned, Aussie-made right here in Melbourne. And now more than ever, obviously, you've got to support things that are made here locally in Victoria as we do it pretty tough over the next little while. But we're now going to be joined by a former captain of the Saints.
3: From inside 50, this time he sprays it across the face. Still in play. Ball. he snaps, he snaps and he goes. So Luke Ball puts the Saints up by seven points. And Rob, you just get the Saints in the last...
0: Well, our next special guest on the program played 142 games for the Saints, uh, played an additional 81 with Collingwood, was the best and fairest, winner with St Kilda in 2005, runner up the previous year in 04, Captain the club as well in 2006 and 2007. He was a premiership player, unfortunately, in the wrong jumper, but he did get there in uh, in 2010. Uh, Luke Ball, thanks for for joining us on our podcast this week.
4: Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Now... When it all started for you, obviously you were part of the now dubbed Super Draft, and with good reason, uh, selected pick two after Luke Hodge in that 2001 draft. Can you take us through to to that period? Were you always linked to St Kilda? Were you sort of did you have contact with Hawthorne or, or other clubs sort of later in the the draft? And and obviously when you arrived at the Saints, that first year you spent obviously doing your schooling and didn't play in in 2002 and had a few injury concerns so can you take us through I guess your your arrival at the club and and how that all came about
4: well I was a a mad hawk supporter growing up um had a couple of uncles that played through the 80s when they were pretty successful obviously and and into the 90s and um yeah so uh there was always there was a faint chance there um that uh you know, with hawthorne having having the first pick that um, that I might end up there and um, I suppose the ro- the romantic part of you um, would have seen the uh, you know seen the good part of that but um, I remember getting a phone call the night before the draft um, from tomo, obviously coach at the time um, saying that uh, that they'd be um, calling my name out of pick two so uh, both my parents breathed a, a big sigh of relief because uh, the the picks after two were I think West Coast at three and then Fremantle at four, um, and we'd we'd spoken to um, both those clubs at the time. And um, yeah, you're right. I, I was I was still completing year 11 or, or just completed year 11, so um, had year 12 to look forward to the year after. And mum and dad were pretty keen for me to to finish my schooling at uh, the school that I'd. I've done you know they've been at for the, the previous six or so years, so uh, the thought of having to go into state at that time um, they weren't crash hot on I, at the time I would have ha- I would have been happy to go of course um, uh, you, you put your name in the draft and you you can end up anywhere so but as it was I um, got the first call from hawthorne I think from John Turnbull who was a, the uh, recruiting manager of Hawthorne saying that they were going to go with with Hodgie and then. Not long after, I got a call from Tomo and Johnny Beveridge saying that um, that, uh, that they'd be calling me out of pick two. So I'm um, not sure I slept a heap that night, the night before the draft anyway, but at least going to the draft, I, I was um, reasonably assured of, of where I was going to end up.
2: Now, you talk about speaking into the clubs and getting phone calls from the clubs and that sort of thing. But what about between yourselves and yourself and Juddy and Hodgie and them? Did you talk much between yourselves thinking, yeah, okay, we're going to end up here, I'm going to end up here, that sort of thing?
4: Uh, probably towards the end there. When, Yeah, probably the, the couple of weeks leading into the draft. Um, and, and back then, so we, what are we talking, almost 20 years ago, there, there certainly wasn't the focus on, on the, the draft that there is now. It was probably only just starting around then. Uh, in terms of, you know, the odd article in the paper and all that sort of stuff. And um, towards the draft when all the, you know, probably all the talk was around um, the three of us and there were a couple of articles, um, we started to to think about it. And I, but I guess you've got a fair bit of, of other stuff going on as well. I mean, I Jody would have been in year 12. I was you know, doing year 11 exams. So you've got a bit, to, a bit to focus on and you're trying to, um, you're trying to, Trying to focus on that as much as possible until your name's actually called out, because you can't do much um, other than prepare yourself physically as well. So, um, yeah, there was a bit of banter, and i yeah, I'd known Hodgie from. Oh, I played in an under-12 team with him, even though he was a Colac boy. I played in an under-12 rep team with him. Uh, played cricket against him, so I knew him reasonably well. Juddie he was a year above um, back then. You could be drafted as a 17-year-old, so. But, yeah, played at San Diego Dragons and played school footy against him. So I knew, knew those guys and, and, and a handful of others um, just you know, by playing rep teams along the way with them reasonably well. So um, whenever you bumped into them, you, you had a good chat, obviously. But um, yeah, there, there wasn't a heap of, uh, I suppose, speculation heading into that, from our point of view anyway, heading into that that day.
1: Obviously, the, the Super Draft for, named that for, for good reason and, and the careers that all three of you had probably helped kind of cement the, the type of um, media around the draft that has that turned into these days. But between the three of you, was there much banter you know, through your careers and, and, and at the end of them based on, on how each of you performed? Uh, there wasn't. No, there,
4: I, I mean, clearly, um, yeah, the, the two guys either side of me, and I say I say this with with without any sort of false modesty. Um, you know, those two guys are, are, are hall of famous, You know, they they they've had some of the most decorated um, careers of all time. So I must admit, when um, when they talk about the Super Draft and the 2001 draft, and, and my name just sort of just dags on at the end of a few of the others. I you know I, I'm happy to I'm happy to, to to cop that and to accept that. But um, uh yeah, I was more... I think early days, I think you're probably right, I think early days, um, and I reckon we're seeing it with young guys now, you, there is a bit of that competitive um, rivalry that, uh, that you don't want to get left behind. Um, and I had, to, I had a bit of a wait to, to get going. And I think both those guys and, and um, a handful of others as well, including some of the guys that, that, um, that I got drafted with at the Saints, which I'm sure we'll talk about, um, got going pretty early on, and I had to sit back and watch a bit and that was reasonably tough because you, you, um, you didn't want to get left behind and you wanted to prove that you were as capable as them. and then as your career goes on, I think you, you sit back and, and appreciate those guys as players as well uh, like like the general footy public do and um, as I said, you know th- those two in particular. Uh, will we'll go down as as all-time great so yeah i i um, very much enjoy watching them um and you know jimmy bartell was in that draft gary Ablett junior who is still playing uh he's the last one standing i think uh it was was taken far the that draft as well so um yeah as i said when when uh when, uh, when the draft's spoken about in those terms. And, and if I can just sneak even half a mention towards somewhere towards the end, I'll, I'll, I'm OK with that.
0: So Grant Thomas was, was very big in that era on obviously creating that family environment, I think, at the, at the club and, and bringing you all together. But if you look at our draft hall over that period, so the year before you is Rewald and Kaczynski, in your year, it's Xavier Clark, Nick Dalsano, Lee Montagna, Matt Maguire. a year later is Brendan Goddard, and I think Sam Fisher potentially around about that time as well. So yeah, obviously, yeah. all stars of, of the game and, and of the club that would sort of come through together. Um, how important or significant was that in the group that you're, you know you're all the same age, you've all come through together, um, you, you actually grew effectively from the same age through the system and made us successful pretty quickly in four.
4: Yeah, I mean, it was obviously uh, it came about, or a circumstance of, of, or, you know, the back of a reasonably poor year for the club in terms of um, results, uh, which which um, allows you to to have access to those early picks, and it's one thing to have access to them, and obviously you've, you've got to get them right, and um, I guess we were the beneficiaries of that, and, and and yeah, all those guys you mentioned, it was it was. Um, it was fantastic to enter the club with all those guys at a period. And, and I think we all, uh, though, absolutely benefited from from some of the experience that was there. You know, the champions of the club that were still there when we when we walked in, um, some of the greatest names of the club. You know, Lowe, um, you know, Burke, Harvey, uh, Hamill, Gehrig, Andrew Thompson, um, Justin Peckett, Ozzie Jones... Um, you know Stevie Powell and, and a handful of others. We we were lucky that um, that we came into the club, um, as I said, off the back of a lean period, but but um, walked into a place with uh, with fantastic role models. Um, and whilst we we spent a lot of time together as young guys um, and formed some you know some, a, a really strong group within a group. Um, from that point of view, we, we were very much the beneficiaries of of those fantastic. Uh, guys leading by example so um, yeah it only took a couple of years for for I guess the old that were there and, and this young group coming through um, uh, who whose um, standards had to had to had to pretty quickly meet those of the older players um, it didn't take too long for the results to start to turn and, and, and for us to start to to win, to win some
2: some games of footy. So, yeah, thinking of winning and that sort of thing. So, 2003, basically, first year you're playing games and we start towards the end of 2003 really picking up, picking up wins, getting uh, finished the season off, season off quite well, just missing out in finals, really. Um, having a look at towards the end of 2003, do you think we could, the way that we finished that, move into 2004 and just start the way that the club did? It was... Yeah, ten straight, and made it all the way into the finals, and basically missed out in the grand final by a kick.
4: Yeah, I think we did. I mean, we, the younger group were pretty, um, uh, pretty confident in 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 our ability and and in our ability to push ourselves to to improve over that time. And it was led by Tomo And through that time, you know, we went on some fantastic uh, camps. You know, before. Training camps for training camps, in a sense, you know, Tomo doesn't doesn't get much credit probably probably for um, for for pioneering those, in a sense. But you know, we had a great end of two thousand three, went a fantastic training camp to to London for three weeks. I think it, it was at the time, um, you know, as a 19, 20 year old, um, you couldn't ask for much more, and um, and you know, we'd had access to some some unbelievable world class facilities and athletes and. Um in a sense we were pretty spoiled from a young age because that became the expectation from that from that point on. But he set a pretty high bar, Tom Owen. Um in a sense that camp was, was a bit of a uh, yeah, a bit of a, a match that was lit under the group and and uh and as I said it probably um, came at a right time in terms of the the senior core still you know playing really, really strong footy um, and demanding really high standards of, of the younger group. And then some pretty pretty sharp development from you know, even, even across that pre-season uh, from 03 to 04 from all those those guys that you mentioned earlier. Uh, as well as adding a few in the draft. So, um, I mean, you never expect to probably win to jump out of the blocks like we did and win, and win 10 in a row as easily as we did. But... Um, yeah, we, we, uh, we we started to get going really strongly and 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 along with that you really enjoy what you're doing then when when you're playing that well as a team and, and, and your standards are high and um, everyone knows what's expected of them and um, yeah I, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about uh, you know what happened towards the end of the year at the end of the day what we were, we were a kick away from from playing a grand final and 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 the other thing that, that was a obviously a really strong era of, of competition as well. I mean, that was Brisbane Brisbane coming off their their, di- their dynasty and um, Port Adelaide at that stage. I think it finished on top of the ladder for, for two of those years and, and, uh, and hadn't fallen short in the final. So uh, we came up against them over on their uh, home patch uh, in a pre final and um, were dominant early, of course. And in the end, it was a was one of those games that, that could go either way and, and not one that I think about too much the, the losing prelims and losing finals you, you don't tend to think about too much but um, you tend to sort of push those down towards the, the very very back of your, of your memory but uh, yeah you, you look I suppose you, when you do reflect on them, they, they are missed opportunities now
1: You talk about the group and the young guys especially being really confident and kind of full of exuberance and that sort of stuff after that that first half of that season, the type of footy that you guys were playing under Tomo, how confident were you guys heading into that final series?
4: Uh, we were, um, we were, we were certainly confident that, the, and we, we'd shown that our best footy against uh, you know, all the, the teams throughout the year um, stacked up really well. You know, we had that fantastic game against Brisbane um, under the roof at Eddie had, where we. We proved that we could mix it with the big boys, I guess, if you want to put it that way, and um, and so yeah, we 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 were we were confident that that uh, you know that we earned our spot in that top four, and that we were um you know that we were in good shape to have a fair crack at it. I guess what um, you know, what we learned, though in that first final was that finals footy is a different kettle of fish, and um, I do have a you know, pretty clear memory of that. Uh, that night, and that being a real shock to the system, and um, you know, almost uh, literally for me, I remember getting a whack in the face. I remember lining up against Simon Black. This is 4 the first final up in Brisbane. There, I remember lining up on Simon Black in the first bounce, and um, the ball came down, and, and his arm flew back, and it was an accident, but just whacked me right in the eye, and uh, and um, and I couldn't see for about 90 seconds, and. And that set the tone for the night, unfortunately. <laughs> what were we, 80 points down at halftime or something? It was a disaster. But I think in the end it was, um, I mean, you never want to never never get thumped uh, in a final like that. But uh, it was probably not a bad thing, especially for the younger guys in the group. Say, so, OK, the, you know, home and away footy is one thing. But you got to lift, you've got to raise your level um, when, the, uh, when the whips are cracking in, at the end of the year.
0: How was the health of the group 12 months later? Obviously, you had a terrific period there, 04, runner-up in the BNF, then winning it in in 05. But I think a lot of Saints fans look at 05 perhaps as a bigger missed opportunity. Obviously, they they went to Adelaide and and won the first final so impressively, had the week off. Sydney had that gruelling run through and, I think we were 15 yeah. points up just before three-quarter time in the prelim against Sydney, but we had a lot of injuries. Um, how was the, the health of the group? Could you see that coming, I guess, what happened in that last quarter?
4: I think looking back now, yeah, we... Yeah, you never want to make excuses, but I think that was... I remember the last... Was it the last... Uh, or the second-last home-and-away game against Frio over there where we lost after the sire and Montmure kicked that goal... And we were dropping like flies. I think Luke Penny hurt himself. Um, Goose might have hurt himself. Maxie Hudgeton, uh on the top, or, or, you know, on top of Aaron Hamill was injured. I think. And um, in a sense, we really did limp into that final series. Even having been one of the best teams throughout the year, uh, you do need a bit of luck towards the end of the year with 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 injury and 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 uh, and those sort of things. So. Um, to go to Adelaide in that first final, um, and essentially you know, halves halves played him by himself in that first court in that first half, and then a few of us decided to uh, to jump on his back, and, and that was a that was um, one of the best wins I've ever been a part of. Uh, was was amazing, uh, but it possibly uh, covered up a little bit the fact that we were just going physically, um, and I reckon I was starting to struggle with McGrawins a bit towards the end of that year as well. And was just hanging on. Um, and, yeah, we made it to three quarter time, even in the prelim and just didn't quite have the, uh, have the gas to, 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 match it with the Swans and, and, you know, credit to them. They, they, they had a full head of steam as well. They, they, um, they'd, uh, they just, just got over the cats, have had the week before and, and, um, no, they were—they uh, got themselves on a roll in that last quarter, and and we couldn't stop it. So, again, um, don't like don't like thinking about it too much because it really is. Uh, yeah, anytime you lose a prelim, um, and that year I think you know we we'd certainly proved ourselves as one of the be- as one of the better teams in the comp, but weren't uh, weren't good enough and weren't fit enough when um, when it mattered.
1: Oh uh, five, you won the best and fairest. You shared it with another hard nut, In you know, number ten in, in Stevie Baker. Uh, now, I texted Bakes just before we jumped on this call to ask if he had any funny stories or anything to tell us about you that we could, we could ask about. <laughs> and he wrote back one line that was just, nah, mate, he was a nerd. <laughs> have you got anything about Bakes that you can, you can tell us?
4: Oh, how long have we got? <laughs> we, we've got as long <laughs> as you've you got. Nah. <laughs> oh, Bakes. Um, he's a nerd. Uh, he's, a, he's a classic. We, I saw him, uh, when was it? Oh, it was the start of the year. No, when was Lenny's beer? At the start of the year. We, we snuck up to uh, to Sydney to surprise Lenny for his 40th birthday. And Bakes had been in the Gold Coast, um, and Troy Schwartz and Milne had organised it. It was going to be a surprise, so uh, they teed it up with his brother-in-law to to um, to uh, pick pick uh, Lenny up in the morning, um, you know, come up with some sort of plan, low-key plan, and and take him the other side of town. Just to have lunch, just for the two of them, um, before Tara, his wife, was going to pick him up and, and I think take him out for dinner and stay in the city or something like that. Anyway, so we're all in on it, and yep, we, we fly up that morning. and We meet at the the Watsons Bay Hotel. We all check in, um, and then you know quickly get changed, get ourselves into a you know a taxi to get to the to the uh, to the, the the pub that we were having lunch at. Bakes is coming from the Gold Coast, so he's going to meet us there. So we're in contact with him. Um, Anyway, his flight gets delayed, so he was supposed to arrive before us. He gets there, so we're all at the hotel waiting. Well, you know, waiting. Where's Bakes? Where's Bakes? Everyone's here except him. Next thing, he arrives, and and he's gone all red, and uh, he's always. I think I've. I think I've stuffed it. I think I've ruined the surprise. He's arrived at the Watsons Bay Hotel just as Lenny and his brother have pulled in to drop their bags off to stay at. So he hasn't seen him for ages. They literally walk into the reception together. Lenny sees Bakes. Bakes sees Lenny. He tries to hide, but he completely blows the cover. And the, and the whole weekend was, the whole the whole plan was ruined. Um, and that pretty well sum, sums up Bakes in a story. But no, nah, he was uh he was uh, he was one of the funniest teammates. Um, and and one of the one of the best teammates, one of the most reliable blokes and just a bloke you just love to play with. He was he was so tough. I mean that, that team of the early two thousands, um, I was talking about it with uh with I think Goose the other day, um the the amount of um hard nuts, the amount of guys that um would just physically sacrifice their body for the team was extraordinary. When you think about Baker I and mean, Rewald, really uh Steve Lawrence, Powell, Thompson, uh, Maguire, Brett Voss, uh, it was one of those uh, Hamill. It was um, it really was um, a high standard to set. And for us young guys, if you didn't, um, you know, we used to say if you didn't take a turn for the team, then then um, you'd uh, you'd get found out pretty quick in that scene. So. Bikes was the uh, the epitome of that, and it was a, a huge honour to be able to um, share the best and fairest with him in, in two thousand and five.
1: Off the back of that, what does it what does it mean to you to, to now forever be a St Kilda best and fairest winner, to be a Trevor Barker medalist, and especially of that team?
4: I mean, you you genuinely don't you genuinely don't uh, play or cover individual awards, but. Um, that is, yeah, that is something that I, that I look back on with with great pride. Uh, absolutely, um, especially with the fact that it's it's um, it's named the Trevor Barker Award as well, and and you hear about the, the regard that and the esteem that he's held in uh, at the club and, and in the broader AFL community. So that's, um, yeah, that's uh, that's something that I, I absolutely treasure and, and look back on with great pride.
2: Now and then on the back of that. Two thousand six, you actually get named as captain under the GT rotation policy, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, so what, what? How did that come about? Was did the best and fairest have any sort of bearing of effect on it? Did GT basically pull your side and say it's your job, or do you want it, or how did it all go getting the job?
4: Yeah, no, it started. It obviously started a few years earlier, and and Tomo, um, that was one of his real strong suits. I think he's. Um, he's you know management of people and and he'd had some corporate experience obviously before he's before he started coaching and um and again you know i think i think he was probably the first to really introduce leadership groups um and i remember him talking to me about an 04 when i was only 20 odd just about um even going through the process of of nominating yourself and um, that's how we used to do it back then if you wanted to be a part of it you you uh, put your hand up and, and, and got up in front of the group and explained why you why you uh, wanted to be wanted to represent the group and even going through that process as I look back now as a twenty twenty one year old um, is is a good one is a development exercise because um, it's not necessarily comfortable you know you don't get up and and, and, and talk about it yourself it's it's something that that um, it takes you know practice and it's not a not a naturally comfortable thing so um so that so that it started a few years earlier and and um was against the, the trend a bit and and I remember him yeah coming to me and and, and um you know, th- suggesting that that this is what what he thought um would would uh, be of benefit to me in the, in the long run and yeah you know, looking back now I was I was um 21 to 22 so Still really young and, and not ready for it, really. But uh, and and I you know, struggled at certain times throughout the year with it. You know, when you when you think about um, some of the senior players that were that were still running around for the club, you know, to think that I was was running out or leading them out and, and tossing the coin. It it uh, you know at times it, it, it didn't really sit that comfortable with with me. But I look back now and and um, and see the method to his madness a bit and and um, and take some, you know, take some strong lessons from from that season. And, and you know, what 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 made it even more challenging was that I, I was wasn't going that well physically on the field either. So the, the the natural thing when you when you're not playing as well as you would have liked is to is to revert back to thinking about yourself and how can I only get myself back. But but you know, we're talking throughout the year. Part of the challenge of being a leader is is to um, is to constantly be thinking about others and, and, and how, you, how you can help your, your teammates and the team, not just how you're going. So that was, you know, at a very general level, that was one of the lessons that I, that I learned that year.
0: I guess a two-part question, the last one from me. Um, obviously, you, you struggled with the body a, a little bit over that period. I mean, you were captain under Grant Thomas in 06, and then when he departed the club, you were, I think, co-captain in 07 under Ross. Um, we know obviously it's been spoken about a, a lot But you, you worked through St Kilda's next really legitimate shot at it in, in 2009 Which was clearly a, a horrible day for a lot of people You were contributing well that day And we know it was much spoken about the limited game time in the uh, in the last term Can you sort of take us through, I guess, the sequence of events that, that saw that be your last game at the club And I guess how your relationship is with Ross now uh, All these years down the track
4: Yeah, I'll work back on you know, I'll... I Man, Ross is fine. I, he's he's back now. He's he's living not not far away. I still see him a fair bit. I live around the corner from Rui. I see a lot of Rui and um, and uh, yeah, bump into to, to Ross a fair bit. And and um, I, and I always said I had great respect for him as a person and a coach. Um, it didn't end up uh, how I would have liked at the club, obviously. But um, any other thing, you know, it's it's. Been well, ten or eleven years now, so um, yeah, we're, we're we're fine. We we um, we've got a you know we've got a relationship, no, no problems there, and, um, and likewise with with a lot of the players. And I'm really yeah really grateful for that because um, it was a it was a, a really a really tough time and and ultimately a really tough decision. I mean, I think most players would love to. Um, uh, end up being a, a one-club player and, and, you know, a 300-game player and all that sort of stuff. And uh, that was I was certainly you no know, different and had, had eight fantastic years at the club, had some fantastic mates and loved the club, loved the supporters. Um, in the end, it was, um, you know, a decision that, that was made with my head and, and, and not my heart uh, in terms of my footy. And, um, you know, I was at a, a pretty low point in uh, in my... Footy life and footy career, and and uh, was probably convinced in the end uh, needed to be convinced um, because um, yeah, as you said, we we got so close as a group and we hadn't hadn't got what we what we wanted. Um, so it was uh, yeah, I needed needed some convincing that um, in order to revive uh, a, a, a spluttering. Footy career, I, I, I needed a, a fresh start. So um, without getting into too much you know, detail about it, that, that was sort of where you know where where it ended up. Um, yeah, in the end, and I think he's he's spoken about it as well. Um, the, the way the team was going, um, and that year in particular, it was you know such an amazing year, two thousand nine. No injuries, and um, you know some some players had coming to the team. were playing really strong roles. You know Clint Jones and Minnie McCall and these sort of guys, and the squeeze was on, and and I got squeezed out, and 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 I think um, in the end it, it just it just did look like that the club was was heading in a in a, in a different direction, and that's not um, that's not unusual, you know. I think now we see it a fair bit, so um, I don't have any um, I don't have any qualms with that. Uh, albeit that it was a it was the hardest decision that I had to make. To, to that point in my life, and um, yeah, but I, I can you know, eleven years on now. I, uh, I um, yeah, I and, and a fair bit of water under the bridge. You you, you get on with life. You have to. You, you can't get caught looking back too much because um, I heard the sports psychologist like say: so if you if you look too 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 far back, or if you're constantly living in the past, you, you're prone to um, prone to uh, Prone to depression if you if you're looking too far ahead. You're, you're prone to anxiety. Um, so you, you've got to and you've got to sort of try and live in the moment a fair bit. So that's um, that's a bit of a long-winded uh, long-winded answer to question, but um, hopefully captured captured broadly what uh, what happened through that period.
1: I guess just one more on on the topic without harping on too much about it, um, because we we don't often hear about the human perspective of of player movement in the competition you always hear about the impact on a club and uh and obviously there was a lot written about yourself and ross but how much of an impact does does you leaving the club have on your your mates i mean obviously you mentioned you still mates with a lot of the boys now and and you still have a really strong relationship with a lot of them but especially having to come up against them the following year on grand final days um what impact did that have on on some of those relationships for a period
4: yeah, oh, definitely, definitely uh, strain them clearly. Yeah, you go from um, you go from seeing them every day in the in the locker room and you know being really close to to um, moving on with it with a new group and, and and becoming a an opposition player. Um, so there's yeah, there's no doubt that uh, that you, you that there's a bit of a strain on um, on them for the, that initial period. And it's, actually, I remember. Um, you know, really early on, so I'd, I'd only just moved, and and I was still sort of uh, still hanging hanging on to the the past a little bit. And I remember, you know, a few people saying to me, "Mate, you the decision's made. Uh, there's no point in in again looking back. You've got to you've got to you got to go full steam ahead. Otherwise, it'll it'll it won't work there either, and it'll just fizzle out." So, um, yeah, that's um, yeah for the for the first yeah few years. Um, there you, you you do sort of you do drift a little bit, but as I said, I'm really really wrapped now and pleased now that it um you know that I'm you know I see a fair bit of of, of those guys that that um you know that I got drafted with and, and play a lot of footy with and um, we've all got kids now, so we're uh, all similar age, so that's it's great to see the next generation running around and playing together. So. Um, and we yeah we we reminisce every now and then, but we don't we don't talk about footy, uh, you know, that much either because there's there's so much else going on. So, so from that point of view, um, yeah, it was it was tough, but but um, it's been great that the times sort of you know worked through all that. And, and the other part was that that um, not only on, on mates and stuff, but but your family. That was that was the thing that, that surprised me at the time that um, how. How uh you probably took it for granted a bit, but how invested um your parents and your family are in in you and, and what you're doing in your career and um it was the most upset I've ever seen my my parents when um you know going through all that all that period and, and when I you know when I finally sort of made the decision to, to, to move on. Um that, that that really struck me as well. Uh, that that yeah, you know, I'd never seen them, and we yeah, we've been so fortunate. Um, you know, my my life, um, I, but I'd never seen them so emotionally affected by by anything. So that 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 sort of struck me through that period as well.
2: Now you mentioned meeting the seeing the players in the locker room and all that all the time. Now you're pretty much at Moorabbin in what we I guess we could call the dying years there, before they headed down to Seaford. Um yeah. Have you seen the new facilities much, or or look at around, look at them, and just sort of think, mate, I wish we had that when we were down there, and compare it to what you were using at that point, and just look at where our confidence is now.
4: Yeah, I have been lucky enough to be to have been shown through them, and um, they're fantastic. They're amazing. Actually, I drove the. I'm not too far away. I drove the girls. um, We were driving past. I had the girls in the car, and I thought driving past Linton Street, and I just pulled in. The other week, um, there was obviously no one there because the players were all away. But I just um, quickly jumped out of the car and, and showed the, uh, the girls who were five and or nearly four. Um, this is where this is where Dad used to work with uh, with Nick, who they know, and Uncle Goose, uh, you know, years ago. So uh, they're fantastic facilities. Um, but you know, it's funny you do and you don't. Like we, and again, it wasn't we didn't know any different back then, but. Um, we had a we had a footy oval with you know, good good grass. Um, we were doing weights on you know on the dance floor of the old um, disco that uh, that Trevor Barker used to dominate. Apparently, uh, we had a sauna. We had a sauna that they dusted off and and, uh, and and dug back out for us that Fraser Gehrig used to sit in the corner of and, and hold court. Um, and we didn't have much else, but. We didn't need much else back then, and, and uh, you know, there was sort of a uh, a charm to the old old Moreven that um, that you know time goes on that you, you need to obviously you need to keep up with the competition and improve your facilities. But now uh, part of me part of me um, and that's one thing that we do we do reminisce about is is the facilities that we used to enjoy in those early years at Moreven. We didn't want for much else. It was great.
0: Paulie, well, uh, thank you very much for, for joining us today. I think it's um, yeah, safe to suggest there's a, a fair bit of red and white and black that never left you. So, um, yeah, thanks for giving us a, a fair chunk of your time tonight and good luck with, uh, with everything going forward. And, and thanks for, for all you did for the club when you were there. Oh,
4: no worries. Thanks, girls. Appreciate it. Thanks
3: the week we had leading up was uh, fantastic from a educational point of view we put some things in place and we still didn't get it right but um, we took some real big steps forward as a group to all the Victorian Saints supporters there, I know you guys are doing it hard at home and um, pretty tough so hopefully that gave you a smile tonight and um, you're pretty proud of the boys because some of the efforts were outstanding, You know, I thought Ryder in the ruck um, Howard, Howard down back and then Steele around the ball and you know, Gresham, Jones, so very busy and lively, and Butler's um, played great footy. So, um, a good step forward in five days, we'll be back here. So, we'll um, head back tomorrow morning pretty early back up to Noosa, get our boys right, and then go again. But, you know, we want to make sure that we stay in front of the ledger and 4 3, great results. So, to everyone, please take care. Um, you know, I know back in um, Victoria it's pretty tough at the moment, but um, you, you know, the, the chanting from the Saints supporters here tonight was brilliant and uh, we loved it. So, go Saints.
0: Uh, We look ahead to Port Adelaide, who are the number one seeds in the competition at the moment, sitting on top of the ladder. Their only loss was a belting at the hands of Brisbane, but they've had some really impressive wins, thumped West Coast, beat GWS pretty handily. But we did see when they played Carlton at the Gabba on Sunday, that they are gettable. The Blues had that game just about in their keeping. They led by seven points with about six minutes to go and just fell away over that last period. Port Adelaide missed several chances to beat them and then obviously nailed it with a, a ripping goal right at the end from Robbie Gray, just to haunt us a little bit, seeing him do that again. Although it is nice to know that it can happen to somebody else. but um, So they're a good side port, but in saying that, they are they aren't entirely infallible. If you look at their record, they can at times be vulnerable when, when enough pressure is applied and they can be exposed in that regard. Obviously, they're back at home in front of their fans. We'll have to make at least one change with Josh Battle going out of the side for at least a week. Uh, Dan hannabury as we said last week, was actually pretty close to playing. Uh, as to whether they pull the trigger on him now or wait until we play in our hub state, the Queensland, uh, remains to be seen. But what are we thinking selection-wise? Battle out. So whether they go with another versatile type player that can play a couple of different roles in that team or whether they go with uh, somebody like Webster or Roberton that might play purely back. And then the other question might be on a Ryan Burns or the two Ruckman as to whether we, we've with either of those options.
2: Um, well, it's going to be a question of whether do we want to swing the changes a little bit this week, or wait until the first week we get back. Um, I wouldn't be changing too much from last week. Basically as little as possible because the players who went last week know to ground. Um, they've played there more recently than what Port Adelaide players actually have. So that's, that's something to try and take advantage of. Um, because, yeah, They've been in Queensland for a month now so they're only just going to get home, get there the same time we get there. It, it, there's no big advantage as it usually is, it seems. Um, but yeah, I mean, battle out. It's, it's. I'm trying to think who could possibly come in. I don't know if we go big, big again, or do we go a smaller player? I mean, they're a reasonably quick team, so we might want to go a little bit smaller, bring in some run. Um, I'm assuming Hanbury may be available. Um, it's, yeah, it's a tough one. Um, our, our, our back line functioned without battle. I mean, he was out quite early. So it, it's, I, I really not, not a hundred percent sure which way they're really going to go. It's, it's, I, I, but I would not be changing anything that doesn't need to be changed. That's, that's pretty much as simple as I'd be going. Right.
1: Yeah. I, I 100% agree. I, I wouldn't be changing much unless you really had to. And uh, hopefully there aren't any, any more issues to be too concerned about. Or see battles the one, uh, the two that I'd be looking at would be Robert. And if, if they feel like the back line needs bolstering, then then Robert is probably the one he's, he's really versatile and and flexible in the way that you can utilize him. Um, one of the things that I think we've, we have missed it has been a bit of speed out of, out of halfback. And so Webster could be one uh, to, to come in in that regard. Uh, we've seen Clark and Coffield play that halfback role uh, fairly well, but they're both very composed guys that they, they seem to move slowly. They're, you know, they remind me a little bit of uh, guys like Nick Del Santo and, and, and Luke Hodge off halfback, that they're not especially quick, but they read the play really well. They've been really good in terms of intercept marking and, and, and getting the contest in, in terms of third man or, or loose man in defence. Uh, but if we wanted to, to bring in some urgency into that back line, then Webster's probably the one to look at. The other one that I think could be an interesting one is uh, Jack Bytel. I think he's been on the cusp for a few weeks. And obviously... Uh, Brought in Ryan Burns last week. He, he didn't do a lot and, and seemed at times a little overawed by the occasion. But he did in, in other moments kind of show that he was ready for it. And you know, he's got a bit of pace. He's got some size about him. Didn't, didn't look like he was scared of, of the contest or of the opposition. Uh, and so I'd be keeping him in. I, I think it, it can be really tough to, to bring in a young kid for the first game and then drop them straight away if they if, they've got a, if they have a quiet one. Uh, so I'd be keeping him in if, if possible and bringing someone like a Bytel in uh, just to give them another shot of, of kind of youth and, and exuberance and, and the excitement. I think everyone seemed to enjoy the fact that they had a debutant last week uh, and they all got around in game and you know, you could tell that there was some excitement about it and um, you know, I'd be keen to see them, see them do it again. I, I think he's another big body mid that you know, we could use w- would give them, an excuse not to have to fly Hanabry over for another week and, and kind of keep him in Queensland, mean that he doesn't have to get on a plane, doesn't have to sit on a two hour bus trip. Uh, you know, doesn't have to go through all of that in terms of a, a return from injury. And, and we know how susceptible he's been in the past. So, you know, if possible, I'd be looking at keeping him in, in Queensland and, and bringing someone like a Bytel or a Webster or a Robert in and keep Hanabry fresh and, and fit for the, you know, the upcoming uh, traffic jam.
0: Obviously, Dixon and, and Gray in front of the ball have been huge for, for Port Adelaide. So getting those matchups right um, uh, in terms of Robbie Gray, be it with him. Mean, I know Geary spent a lot of time forward, but whether uh, he reverts to that, whether you throw a challenge to uh, one of those, sort of like a Wilkie or something like that, to play in a more mobile, smaller player, which he's been able to do, whether it's Howard or Carlisle or, or the like that, that get that first dibs on. Um, on Charlie Dixon, obviously in the ruck, we, we might be able to get an advantage. Stephen Motlop and Brian Burton are set to miss for Porter, getting hurt last week. And Connor Rosie is under a bit of a cloud. By the time you listen to this podcast, he may or may not have been selected. Um, so that would obviously be handy. But yeah, they're gettable. We obviously have to play better. And overcoming the Adelaide Hoodoo is one thing. We haven't beaten Ford since 2011. We probably should have beaten them six times since then. But we haven't done so on any of those occasions. So um Adelaide had a hoodoo over us where they were just flogging us every time uh, we played them. Whereas Port Adelaide beat us by a kick or 12 points or they come from behind and beat us by eight points or whatever. So we generally get a good look at them. It's not a bad matchup. They flogged us last year in China, but half our list had food poisoning and the other half had gastro, I think. So um, that was a struggle. So yeah, it's it's a gettable game. Obviously, we do need to lift. But... Big chance to a free hit to go five and three effectively, which would be massive for us. And the fixture going forward. So after that, we play Sydney at the Gabba in four games in 16 days. Sydney at the Gabba, then the Gold Coast at Metricon, which is a good old-fashioned away game. And then both Geelong and Essendon at the Gabba. So three games at the Gabba, we would expect to beat Sydney, um, which is another hoodoo now that we're talking about it. Uh, And if we could break through that, then it obviously puts us in a a good position. But first step is Port Adelaide this week. And uh, a few of our listener questions in relation to some of that. We've we've addressed both uh, Benji and and Sharon James also asking about the Marshall-Ryder combination. Uh, One for you, H. Wayne Dragwich says, Who's directing the forward line in Ruffy's absence? How much do you think his influence is missed on the bench? Possibly he's the one who gives a spray to the mids for bombing it into the forwards. I think he's still doing a bit of stuff, obviously, by a distance, but um, our forward line's been okay in the, the last couple of weeks. We just hadn't got the ball down there all that often. Well, I oh. like that
2: Ratton was a forwards coach at Hawthorne for a while there.
0: I think so, yeah. Think, yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, but otherwise, yeah, controlling the forward line, you'd assume the way we've set up our leadership group membry is one of the MET leaders. So I'd, I'd have to guess that he's the one up there controlling, getting players, the spaces, getting the setups, right. And that sort of thing. Um, I'm sure he is the one who's in contact with Ruffy quite often about how we're going to attack this, how we're going to play this week. Um, I'm assuming that we'll get him back when we go to the Gold Coast. He just doesn't travel to Adelaide. So, I think so um, yeah. Yeah, so it's it basically he'll see him off on the plane, and then in he'll see him when he gets back. So it's not like he's not talking to him for a week or anything. So it's, but yeah, I'd, I'd assume out on the field itself, it's got to be memory running the running the show up
1: there. Parker, I've got one for you from uh, from Joe Fogarty. He says, "Why does Gresh hit his thirty-five meter out straight in front set shots like he's trying to kick a beanbag? Torp hundred meters across his body."
0: Yeah, he um, he doesn't certainly doesn't run in a straight line. I hope Ruff's looking at that. You'll see him. I mean, the the, the one he missed against Adelaide, he, he clearly ran diagonally right and kicked the ball dead straight, exactly where he was running. Um, and he's done that a few times. He's you don't mind him. He I would have rather he had that shot that Loney kicked out in the full from the pocket. Um, that would have suited Gresham. He's sort of creative enough to you know step around and kick around the body. Uh, he's a very ordinary set shot. I think we can say that. He's a, he's not a bad sort of kick moving the ball forward. He's not a bad running and, and snapping shot at goal. But his set shots are, are a real a real worry. So, yeah, I think that the most fundamental issue in his technique, he, yeah, he doesn't kick it far from set shots, certainly. But he doesn't kick it straight. He runs. Well, he kicks it exactly where he runs. He doesn't run straight. So, it's, yeah, I don't know whether they get, uh Stuart Lowe down there and say, What did you do to straighten your run up? What did you do to straighten your action? Just get someone in there and say, mate, just mark a spot, run in a straight line, and invariably you'll kick it straight. I
2: think Stuart's oh, called wazzy he, he always bent his back. He straightened his back and he was good. Um to we'll go back to Parker here. Uh, the growing calls to drop Seb Ross, where where do you think we're sitting with that?
0: I think we said last week he had credits in the bank, and he still does. He had another quiet game, but so did Brad Hill, for that matter. You'd you'd argue Brad Hill has less credits in the bank at St Kilda than Seb Ross does. Obviously, Brad Hill probably has a better CV overall in his career. But, yeah, both of those guys, and and I guess the Hill one, he's getting nine or ten possessions in the first half of most games and two or three in the second. I thought Seb worked hard on the weekend. There's no issues there. He got to the right spots. He got caught a couple of times, did a few hard things, Played all right against Richmond a couple of weeks ago, so it's probably two or three quiet games in a row for him. But, yeah, I get the frustration. I certainly do, given, obviously, his position. And and we spoke to him earlier in the year as a vice-captain and and a leader within the group and a best and fairest winner. He's out of form, but I don't think there's too much to worry about with Seb. It's just a a case of he'll eventually find his touch. I'm a little bit more concerned about Brad Hill. I, I think he'll click, but I can't totally grasp why he's going missing in games for extended periods of time even how influential he'll be at other times
2: do you think the positions have possibly been switched because gresham going in and he's sort of moved out i think so it, it, it's almost a like they've been swapped position to position and yeah maybe it's just he hasn't got the pace to do the same job that gresh did
0: possibly and he's probably just adjusting a little bit to Life in that group. Before we wrap things up, I think Shay raised a, a really interesting point. We're all familiar with Shay Williams on, on Twitter as a, as a Saints fan. That we know it's been a, a rough week in in one sense. It's been a bit of news around a couple of AFL players. So Lockie Hunter, one that stepped away from football for a period of time. We know he's had an interesting year of, of challenges personally. And. There have been players that haven't gone to to hubs due to family reasons that are perfectly legitimate, not necessarily problematic reasons, just reasons of recently having a child or whatever it may be. And Gary Ablett's obviously flown back home because he's got a sick child and and issues within the family, which is totally understandable. Um, But we know the the looming spectre of of mental health that sits around life in general, particularly the life we live now in, in lockdown and COVID restrictions and that you can't see your family, you can't see your, your friends as much as you used to be able to and, and do things, have your social outlets that you used to be able to do. And I think given the Shane Tuck news during the week and I think a lot of us saw the footage of his debut on social media where it was uh, Danny Crawley being interviewed and it kind of hits, hits home that the, the player that's the subject of the topic and the person talking about him have unfortunately both fallen victim to the same disease, if you want to call it that. So I think it's always important to talk about that in a in an awareness sense. We know that the players that the play for the club that we support are, are facing challenges now where they've got, you know, eight, nine, ten, eleven weeks away from home and they may never have done that before. So I guess it's just that timely reminder and I know Nick you've been big in these conversations to put your hand up and and it was very sad hearing Michael Tuck say that that Shane, I guess, wasn't able to acknowledge that the problem perhaps that he was facing and yeah, I guess that's the message. I think it's, it's 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 close to our club's heart for obvious reasons. But um, yeah, that, that message that you just got to put your hand up and, and have those conversations when they're necessary. Yeah, it's,
1: it's tough. I think it's really hard. I, I think especially for for males and, and and men to to kind of have those conversations. It's something that isn't intrinsically built in us to talk about our emotions and, and how we feel. And I think we've got to be really careful. You know, we we talk about football from a, a perspective of entertainment and passion. You know, we're, we're supporters of a club. We, we love watching the footy. We, we love supporting our team and, and we want the best for our team, but you know, quite often we forget that that these guys are human beings and they've got families and, and the things potentially not the things that we individually say, although I'm sure that can, that can make a difference, but you know, the, the things that, that, we as a group, as a collective, say about players at times can can be a bit much. I think we we can be very rough on these guys, and you know we, we talk about guys like Seb Ross and and Bradley Hill as, as assets, um, as things that that we kind of own for our footy club, and and we forget that they're people with families and mums and dads. And you know, Luke Ball spoke about it earlier. The the impact uh, things like a, a trade or or a change of clubs, um, can or a grand final loss can have on, on their family. It's, it's something that you don't, you don't think about even as a player in those circumstances, let alone as a supporter. And I think we, we can be, we can be better in in this regard in, in how we treat footballers and and how we treat people in this community, in this environment and and how we treat each other as a whole. I think it's something that we can all step up and and be better at. Um, It's something that I've certainly tried to do over the last few years, you know, becoming a, a, and, and having a, a child of my own i've been through my own mental health battles and it's something that i i continue to deal with and, and fight with you know on a, on a weekly if not daily basis uh and, and these times are tough these times are tough for everyone and regardless of the fact that they're playing a game regardless of the fact that they're on decent money uh, these guys are human beings and they've got feelings and emotions that they're gonna have to deal with and and are often very difficult to, to talk about and express, especially in that type of macho manly environment. And I think, you know, we, we've got to give these guys some slack. We've got to cut them some slack and, and uh, get better.
2: Yeah. Now, I mean, as tough as it's going to be, a footy club is probably one of the best places for them to be at this sort of time as well. I mean, you look at a local, you get your small little town in the, in the country and something really bad happens there. What's the first thing that gets behind the family of what's happened. It's the footy club. They come in, they look after them. They try and help everywhere any way they possibly can. It, it's, as I'm saying, probably one of the best places that any player with a problem should be able to do. Um, but Go to someone and say, look, they're their mates. Let's go, all right, well, I'm, I'm struggling here. Um, but, in the way of the club ourselves, I think we've sort of, as they're saying, hit the lotto jackpot we're getting where we're based. The ability to have all these extra people up there with them, their families or their kids and just just having that little hub to ourselves to make it feel like a home away from home to try and normalise things a little bit more. Just 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 try to get that mindset right. Um it, it's basically the, what they need to do at this point, just be able to say, okay, this isn't normal. It's not going to be forever, we hope. But let's let's work together let's get through this support each other just make the absolute best out of the situation we possibly can um if if someone can't do it no one's gonna go No, nah, you're weak whatever No, nah, no, nah, it's not gonna happen players are like I'm out I'm sorry and yeah that they will be 100 percent 100 percent supportive on the clubs and fellow players it's it, it's a really strange situation but yeah they'll get through it
0: yeah and we're lucky with um sport i know sports relatively insignificant in the scheme of things but at the same time it's extremely important i mean last time we were locked down obviously we didn't have that and and it does provide that community feel because the message is not just to players but obviously to, to build supporters you've obviously got that brotherhood or community spirit within your supporter group and people that you can talk to as much as you can't see them at the football and you know, we're lucky, obviously, at the highest level that you can play. We've all played local sport and, and my local football club, for example. Uh, like most, we're not able to play this season. And But that's everything. I mean, the club, you, you have your meals on a Thursday night with the same people that don't play for the club, are down there having their feeds and talking to people and friends and family, they can't do that anymore. You have people who sit at the bar having a couple of beers, they can't do that anymore. You can't sort of sit there on a Saturday and play your game and then have beers with your friends and, and do all that sort of stuff. That's not there anymore. So... For a lot of people, that's difficult to to obviously fill that void. You can't go to the pub and any of that sort of stuff. So yeah, just obviously it's, it's a challenge that we've all got to face, and and hopefully everybody can support each other the the whole way through that. And yeah, important message that you uh, you raised, Jay, no doubt about that. But um, I guess as we we sign off, we look to Port Adelaide as a as a real opportunity for the uh, for the group. It's uh. We've got some winnable games to come after that, but this is a big chance. Uh, Port Adelaide, very good side. It's not going to be easy, but what we've just shown we can win at the Adelaide Oval. We've shown we can break hoodoos. We've obviously got to lift a little bit, but uh, we should have only probably lost one game this year, so we should be right up and around the mark too. So this is a real challenge against uh, one of the benchmarks in the comp, and we can set ourselves up very, very nicely if we can find a way to, uh, to win this game. So uh, Saturday night, and then it's pretty much footy every day after that, so good luck. This week, wherever we may be watching it, and uh, let's break a second South Australian hoodoo in the same week.